Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chastely. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Biden's bet a $2 trillion plan to tackle COVID and rebuild the U.S. economy. Capitol clampdown, thousands of troops stand ready for next week's inauguration. Banking bonanza, JP Morgan sets the tone with record Q4 profits and... We've been feeling so abandoned and so scared about the future, but like... No, we have to open again because we have, we play such a role in so many families' lives and traditions and generations. And we've been wondering how the heck we're going to do that. (laughs) You guys are giving us a miracle. We speak to the man raising millions for small business. It's Friday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. Great to have you with us as always. The world is full of emotional stories like that of people who desperately need help. At least here in the United States, the U.S. President-elect Biden has laid out his sizable response. Let's call it Biden's bonanza, a near $2 trillion aid plan that includes direct aid to families, heftier weekly enhanced benefits and billions in aid for state and local governments. We've got all the details and analysis coming right up. The aid package, of course, coming as Americans continue to pull back spending even during the holiday shopping season. U.S. retail sales falling for the third straight month in December. All eyes on what J.P. Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo say about the U.S. consumer in particular today. Yes, earnings season has begun with the usual bank bonanza too. Mixed results overall. I have to say strong numbers for J.P. Morgan, as I've mentioned, but weak revenues at City and Wells City. In fact, with a surprise miss on fixed income trading too, we'll be digging into that later on in the show as well. This deluge of data helping pressure stocks pre-market after a soft, soft close yesterday, part consolidation, perhaps part nervousness, perhaps over whether the Biden bill makes it through Senate. Plus, how on earth is this going to be financed? Are we looking at tax rises? More borrowing will clearly be needed too. One reason perhaps why U.S. bond yields are moving higher too. The tone in Europe, similar, with fresh data showing the U.K. is headed for a double dip recession. Asia, though, bucking the trend, a different story with a mostly positive end to the week. As you can see, there were further ratcheting up of restrictions on investments in Chinese stocks saw smartphone maker Xiaomi slump overnight too. As you can see there, we will take you to China for the latest on that too. Oh boy, there's lots to discuss. For now though, let's begin with more on Biden's fiscal flood. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, I raised the question. This spending plan is clearly vast. Big question is whether he will manage to get it through the Senate, even with a slim majority for the Democrats here. But you know what I liked? I like the way he framed it as a moral obligation to act. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, look, and he went big. He said he was going to go big and he did go big. And you can see the priorities of this new administration in this covid uh, rescue plan. When we tick through the different factors here, you've got fourteen hundred dollar stimulus checks uh, for for families. You've got an extension of unemployment benefits, four hundred dollars extra a week, extending all the way by the way, into September. So as a duration issue here, that's pretty interesting, too. You've got rental assistance for needy Americans. You've got new help for businesses. You've got a big chunk of money for state and local governments. And you've got uh, the president-elect asking for a $15 minimum wage. He talks about the very people on the front lines, frontline workers who have been hit by the health aspect of this crisis and the financial aspect of the crisis. Listen to the president talking about, president-elect rather, talking about a $15 an hour minimum wage. Let's make sure our caregivers, mostly women, women of color, immigrants, have the same pay and dignity that they deserve. He's got a look here at uh, families, at poverty among children. There's a lot in here where you can see the Biden administration's priorities at play uh, amidst the pandemic. Dignity, I think the key word there, when people simply can't go back to work because the economy won't allow it because we haven't tackled the crisis well enough right now. And this was one of the other standouts for me here, a beefed up role for the federal government here in the testing response, in doling out vaccines to people who are willing to take them, Christine, rather than letting the states get on with it and it being a bit of a free for all and an ensuing chaos, I think, that we've seen so far. I mean, it's a national vaccination program. That's what they're talking about, a national strategy here. They're talking about getting money into the hands uh, of, of the people who are going to be putting shots in arms so that they have gloves, they have the materials they need, ramping up testing, ramping up vaccination. I mean, top to bottom, a plan here for a national strategy of vaccination. What we've had so far is a national strategy for vaccine production that is pushing the vaccine to the states. And then from there, you have states with their mishmash patchwork uh, of ways of trying to get uh, uh, all of their citizens vaccinated. This is a national strategy from top to bottom. And that's a very different tack here from this administration as well. Absolutely. Christy Womans, thank you so much for that. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. There could be three times more National Guard troops securing next week's inauguration than the number of active duty U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria combined. Pete Muntean is in Washington, D.C., where a temporary wall has been installed in front of the Capitol building. Pete, we had you on the show yesterday and you were showing us the fortress-like nature of the structures that were going up in D.C., but the FBI directors warned of uh, potential armed protests. They are taking no risks here. That's right. And the fortress is only getting more fortified here outside of the Capitol. In fact, we are blocks away. And yesterday I showed you this eight foot fence that has been going up here. But this is also going up, we have learned, around the National Mall, not just here at the Capitol. And new overnight, crews installed this 12 foot fence based in concrete just outside of the Capitol. Even if an armed protester did make it onto the other side of this, they would be met with some of the 20,000 armed members of the National Guard who are here. The Pentagon says it is especially worried about improvised explosive devices or pipe bombs like those found outside the RNC and the DNC. We have learned that the threat here is very real. Security officials just moved a rehearsal here from Sunday to Monday because of those new threats. I'm going to show you one more thing. This is Pennsylvania Avenue. This is the parade route from the Capitol to the White House, now almost completely deserted. No bunting, no porta potties, no jumbotron, and maybe not much in the way of crowds. This is going to be an inauguration like no other, Julia.
I mean, it was already going to be an inauguration like no other, simply because of the COVID crisis and the need for social distancing and, and safety measures here, Pete. But I'm just trying to get a sense based on even just four years ago, what we saw and the, the previous times where we've seen inaugurations. What actually is it going to look like come Wednesday? Is there going to be anybody there other than troops? We know from the head of the Metropolitan Washington Police Department here in D.C. and the mayor, Mayor Mariel Bowser, that they are urging Americans to not come here for the inauguration. If they had their druthers, this would be almost entirely virtual. We know that some of the plans are still proceeding for a socially distant inauguration on the National Mall. 35,000 flags, there are spaced out VIP tents. We will see if that remains. Construction was still continuing only hours ago, but now here in front of the Capitol, a place where crowds would essentially be filled here, there may not be any come Wednesday. Yeah, it's just uh, incredible scenes. Pete, great to have you with us. Thank you once again. Pete Montine in DC for us there. Now, President Trump reportedly spending his final days in the White House planning his legal strategy for a Senate impeachment trial. Sources say his lawyers will use a free speech defense. John Harwood joins us now. John Washington clearly preparing there for the arrival of the, the next president, the outgoing president. Meanwhile, handling his final few days, as you would expect, um, badly. Very badly, Julia. He is tormented by the fact that he is going to go down in history as the worst American president, the only one to be uh, impeached twice by the House of Representatives. And he may end up, uh, even after leaving office, becoming the only president ever to be convicted by the Senate. That is certainly not a foregone conclusion. And I think you'd have to say, looking at the uh, level of support for the president within the Republican Party still after that January 6th terror attack, it's less than a 50-50 chance, but it's not impossible. And so that's why he's preparing for this trial, we can envision two defenses for the president, uh, uh, both of which have been signaled by the president himself and people like Alan Dershowitz who uh, are advising him. Uh, The president has said, well, uh, I didn't intend uh, for violence to take place, uh, that uh, I may have said, yes, we're going to march on the Capitol, but I wasn't envisioning people uh, violently uh, desecrating the Capitol and attacking police officers and killing a police officer. None of that was contemplated by uh, my attempt to rally them to my side on these election arguments. The other is a constitutional one. Uh, Alan Dershowitz has said the Senate lacks the constitutional power to hold a trial for a president not in office. That is a dubious assertion because, of course, the Senate has conducted uh, uh, post-in-office impeachment uh, trials, uh, not for a president, but for a cabinet member. That occurred uh, in the 19th century. So uh, those are ways the president's going to try to defend himself. But increasingly, uh, uh, Washington is turning away, as you indicated in that report with Pete, uh, toward the prospect of a new president, which will occur next week. It's quite fascinating, John. This uh, new Congress has got so many issues to deal with. We were just talking about Biden's bill and the hope for for more financial aid and stimulus measures dealing with the COVID crisis, just to name it too, never mind the confirmation of those that are going to join this cabinet too. John, where does public opinion lie? Does the public, do the American public want this president impeached? Uh, Yes. In fact, there was a poll that came out within the last 24 hours showing that 56 percent of Americans uh, thought that Trump should be prohibited from ever running 
uh, for office again. Now, uh, that is not a majority position within the Republican Party. It's an overwhelming position within the Democratic Party and a majority of independents. So that's why you get to a 56 percent uh, support. Uh, the, the critical determinant, of course, is going to be what the level of support and therefore the pressure on Republicans to stick with uh, uh, President Trump. Even after those uh, events of January 6th, 93 percent of House Republicans stuck with the president opposed impeachment. Ten broke ranks. That's a large number on a historical basis. No uh, president in an impeachment vote has ever lost that many members of his own party. Nevertheless, uh, overwhelming majority stuck with him. Uh, we are waiting to hear the uh, further uh, ilu uh, illumination of the views of Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader. He's held out the possibility of voting to convict. That might influence some of his members. Uh, but you've still got a Republican Party that is very strongly behind this president in the main, uh, and that's going to be a key factor in this trial. Yeah, not unusual for Mitch McConnell to remain tight-lipped, at least at this stage. We'll have to see what next week brings. John Harwood, great to have you with us, sir. Thank you so much for that. And just days before President Trump leaves the White House, the Defense Department adding nine Chinese companies to a U.S. investment blacklist. Smartphone giant Xiaomi was one of them. The company recently overtook Apple to become the world's third largest smartphone maker. David Culver is live in Shanghai with more. The White House itself might be winding down. The U.S. Defense Department certainly not, David. What's the Chinese response been to this latest move? As you can imagine, Julia, mm. they are angry. They are not sitting well with this. They haven't made any move yet to counter it. And perhaps it's because of what you and John were just talking about and Pete were just talking about. And that is President Trump only has a few more days in office. But as you point out, his administration still going hard and targeting Chinese companies and major companies at that. The nine added by the Defense Department to this list go on with the 35 that have already been a part of this list and essentially this bans American investment in these companies. So Xiaomi, the most recent one, they're feeling the hit. They dropped more than 10% in Hong Kong stock-wise today. And other companies like Comac, which is a major a aircraft maker here in China, it's state-owned. They are rivals to Airbus and Boeing, or less, at least that's their intention ultimately. They likewise were put on that list. They joined SMIC, the chip maker. They joined tech giant Huawei, which of course has been a big part of Trump administration's uh, target over the past really several years now. And uh, CNUC, which is another offshore oil producing company, they were already on that Defense Department list. But if we're talking about list, the Commerce Department also has a list of their own and they put CNUC on that, essentially cutting them off from American uh, products and supplies. So this all in collaboration with what the Trump administration has been doing against some of the Chinese apps. We're talking about WeChat Pay and Alipay and even TikTok, the social media one. And the timing is just a few days before, as we mentioned, President-elect Biden becoming President Biden and the Biden administration having to now deal with this. So the question is, and this is, this is interesting, Julia, is it really putting the Biden administration in a corner here. Is this mm. going to really tie their hands when it comes to China? Well, some diplomatic sources I've been speaking with here say it could actually benefit the Biden administration. They can actually go in now with negotiations with China. And, and there has been a lot of bipartisan support in targeting some of these Chinese companies for fear of, of lack of transparency and that they're not getting the full picture, especially if Americans are going to invest in these companies. So the Biden administration could come to the table now with more bargaining chips, if you will, and some leverage here to start peeling back as they're making deals with the Chinese leadership. 
Yeah, it's a smart thought. We want to remove some of these restrictions, guys, but what can you do for me here? It perhaps puts the Biden administration in exactly. a, a stronger position than, than you might realise. I mean, they may not be as belligerent, perhaps, as the Trump administrations believe, but the, the perceived wisdom is they're not going to be as excited to remove some of these restrictions, perhaps, as the Chinese would like. It's going to be fascinating to, to watch what happens here. Right. Mm. David Carver, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. All right, these are some of the stories making headlines around the world. Dramatic video of a woman trapped under a collapsed building after a powerful 6.2 magnitude earthquake hit Indonesia's Sulawesi Island. Rescuers are frantically trying to pull her and other survivors to safety. At least 42 people lost their lives and hundreds more have been injured. North Korea claims it's built the world's most powerful weapon. State-run media released these images of what appears to be new ballistic missiles designed to be fired from a submarine. It was unveiled at a nighttime military parade in Pyongyang, presided over by Kim Jong-un. All right, still ahead on First Move, two of the biggest players in the business world in very different ways. In a moment, Mohammed Elyarian gives us his take on Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. And disrupting during a pandemic, we speak to Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy about a new venture that's gaining popularity with A-listers trying to give back and help. Stay with us. That's next. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where stocks are lower pre-market. President-elect Biden's near $2 trillion stimulus plan is massive, but it was well expected, and Congress still, of course, needs to pass it. Expect some pushback, especially in the Senate. Investors perhaps also concerned here about the tax hikes and the government borrowing required to pay for all that stimulus spending. A 10-year yield's pulling back today, but still firmly, as you can see, for the 10-year above 1%. The bond market soothed to some degree, perhaps by the Powell promise to the Fed chair, assuring investors that he won't be hasty about reducing support, a.k.a. we cannot afford a second taper tantrum as support is pulled back, particularly given the ongoing COVID crisis. Now, with U.S. retail sales lower for a third straight month and weekly jobless claims spiking again, that seems like a prudent strategy. Mohamed Alirian joins us now. He's the chief economic advisor at Allianz and the president of Queen's College, Cambridge. Mohamed, fantastic to have you on the show. Happy New Year to you. Talk to me about uh, Joe Biden's. You, thank you. Talk to us about Joe Biden's uh, stimulus plan. What do you make of it? It's as expected and it's needed. Um, you just talked about retail sales. We've had three big data releases in the last week, and all of them suggest that the economy is slowing much faster than people expected. There's a view that monetary policy can no longer carry the burden that it has carried, and therefore people are looking for fiscal policy to come in. I think most economists are welcoming the package. The big question, as you pointed out, is will it get through the Senate? And do you think it will? I think most of it will. I think there'll be some compromise, but most of it will. It's important to remember there's three elements to it. Relief for those who are suffering, and there's a lot of people suffering. Secondly, helping with the COVID battle. This is really important in order to restore economic dynamism. And third, building a better economy, which is infrastructure. So it's important that elements of all three survive and we don't go back just to relief. 
I think it's critically important what you point out as well about a beefed up federal response. We've talked about it already on the show to both testing and, and vaccine delivery in the United States. I think you only have to look at what's going on in, in the UK at this moment with uh, the greater spread, greater hospitalizations, perhaps worried that that's a forewarning for what's coming to the United States too in a few weeks. Oh, absolutely. We've been consistently two to four weeks behind the UK, and the UK has gone through a horrific surge in infections, in hospitalization, and in, in deaths. And I'm afraid that that's what we are looking at as well. Um, the UK is actually ahead of us because they have done two things that we need to do. do. They are slowing down infections, which is positive, and they are increasing vaccination. And think of it as a race, and you've got to act on both. You've got to slow down the problem you're dealing with, and you've got to accelerate the solution. And I think that that doesn't happen without federal leadership. Hmm. I mentioned the bond market here, and I do think this is important if we uh, take a step back from the real world and talk about investors for a moment here too. What do you see going on in the bond market? Is it to some degree perhaps valuations and people saying, look, it actually doesn't make sense for bond yields to be where they are relative to the stock markets at this moment, reflation, spending fears. There's a lot of things going on here that all play into this. There's a lot of things going on and they're not good. Two in mm. particular, people have started realizing that, that the outlook for bonds is very asymmetrical, meaning you're more likely to lose money than make money. So buyers are more hesitant. And the second thing going on is people are keeping an eye on inflation indication indicators, and they're starting to, to flash yellow. Those two things together resulted in a significant move in the first week of trading in both the bond yield, but also the shape of the yield curve, meaning that what the Fed could not control directly was moving in a way that the Fed did not like. And that's why this week, we've had a number of verbal interventions from federal officials. The last thing they need is to lose control of the yield curve. I mean, we have to, and we can bring it back to the real economy, understand why this has been so important. It's kept borrowing rates down for individuals, credit card repayments down, the, the mortgage market in particular. People have been refinancing their mortgages at record low rates, and this has all provided a kicker of some desperately needed support to the economy. That's absolutely right. There are two interest-sensitive sectors that have been doing well. One is housing, and we've seen what's been going on. And basically, when you lower mortgage rate, you increase affordabilities. You can buy more housing for the same amount of mortgage payments that you make. So that's, that's been positive. And the second one has been things like cars. Um, but what we've learned, Julia, is that when it comes to the west of the economy, Monetary policy is like pushing on a string. You can push as hard as you want. It doesn't move at the other end. And that's why it's important to bring in fiscal policy and, I want to stress, and pro-growth structural reforms. Yeah, and we hope to see that too uh, at some point along the line with this new administration. Uh, just to bring it back to the actual levels that we're looking at, because I just showed the 10-year yield in the United States and the 30-year yield. At what level of those as they back up, do you start going, OK, now stocks are going to have a problem, even if it's just from a, you know, the, the, the reason to be invested in stocks is because they offer a greater degree of value relative to the return that you get, the lack of return that you've been getting investing in bonds at this stage? 
So I'm going to give you what what my gut tells me. I think analytically it's very hard because you're dealing with psychology, with behavioral issues. And there's a very deeply ingrained view that there is no alternative to stocks. But if you see the 10-year today is around 1.10. If you see getting to 1.40, 1.50, that would do two things. One, it would increase the relative attractiveness of bonds. So there would be less of a notion of TINA. There is no alternative to equities. And secondly, a lot of the models that are based on discounted cash flow, which is a fancy way of saying that interest rates play an important role in them. But a lot of these models that have been signaling a very strong buy for stocks would signal a much weaker. So if we get to around one and a half on the 10 year, I think stocks would really struggle. Would the Federal Reserve be squawking far more loudly even than they are today before that happened? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we <laughs> saw them we saw them make a loud noise when, when we got to 1.18. Um, those of us who, who have followed this for a long time are quite surprised by how the Fed is trying to fine-tune movements in, in the bond market now. And it shows you how worried they are. Remember, they can verbally intervene, which is what they've done. They can change the maturity of what they buy. So they can buy longer dated bonds, more of them. Or third, and I think that's really the nuclear weapon, which they don't want to use, they can go for what Japan did, which is called yield curve control. You actually target a certain yield. I think that would be a big mistake, but they can do more than just um, verbally intervene. You know, it's when I, when I listen to the discussion that we're having here, I think it, it's no surprise that we've seen people searching around for other alternative assets like digital assets and Bitcoin. And I know I'm sure you're being asked about this all the time, but I, I do want to get your wisdom on this because I saw you make some comments about just the structure of the market and at what levels different kinds of investors are involved and perhaps what people that are new to something like Bitcoin need to watch for. Speaking as a a sort of more traditional investor, but that understands both price action and the mentality of investors when they're making an investment, particularly in light of the price moves that we've seen. Mohammed, your wisdom on Bitcoin. So I don't know its wisdom because I bought bitcoins when they <laughs> dipped below five thousand, and I and I sold them at nineteen thousand, and I thought, oh, wow, I'm really smart. That's Just a profit. Go all the way up to forty thousand. <laughs> so so I'm not sure it's wisdom, but but this is how people should think. This time around, because this is the third big surge in bitcoin prices. This time around, we have a solid foundation of long-term holders. They have been brought together by fear about inflation, fear about liquidity, mistrust in institutions, looking to for more risk mitigation assets. I mean, a whole host of reasons bringing them together. That is a solid foundation. That's why I don't think you'll ever see bitcoins back down at 4,000. However, above that is a really big layer of speculation. People realize that bitcoins can move by 4 5% a day. And that, of course, attracts people. We saw last week, fascinating, that when the stimulus checks hit people's account, quite a few of those dollars ended up buying Bitcoins. So people are speculating on Bitcoin. So I tell people, just be careful, because I can I understand the solid foundation. But on top of that, you've got a big speculator um, layer. So just make sure you can manage through that. Because yeah. as we saw on Sunday, Monday, that price can fall by 20% in 48 hours. 
Yeah, you've got to be prepared for volatility. I mean, there will be people watching this going, all the reasons that you suggested are a reason for buying into Bitcoin still exist and will continue to exist in 2021. So, so I do think Bitcoins are going to continue to establish themselves, but it's important to know what they establish themselves as. They're establishing themselves as part of the of the payment system. They're establishing themselves as a holding in a portfolio, 1%, 2%. What they're not establishing themselves as is a global currency. Central banks will not allow that to happen. And I think it's important because that gives you a bound of valuation, clearly not zero because they, they exist in the ecosystem. But it's not, I hear some people saying it's going to 400,000. I don't think so. So, you know, just understand it's a huge range, but understand it's bounded by some realities. Oh, we're out of time. We are going to come back to this conversation. I love having you on the show, Mohamed Alirian. Thank you so much for it is wisdom, for your wisdom on the show today, the Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz there. So thank you so much. All right, the market opens next. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running this Friday. It's the last trading day of the week before a long holiday weekend. And stocks are pretty mixed after an extremely busy pre-market session. Investors are assessing the prospects for the Biden stimulus plan. U.S. retail sales have fallen for a third straight month. And we've also had a mixed start to earnings season two. Plus, shares of all giant ExxonMobil under pressure this morning. You can see down by more than 3%. A Wall Street Journal report says the SEC has launched an investigation into whether the oil giant has overvalued key assets. One positive for the markets, however, the outperformance of economically sensitive small caps, the Russell 2000, now up some 9% this month. No other major index comes anywhere near close, as you can see. So huge outperformance for the small cap stocks on stimulus, domestic stimulus hopes. That's classic. Now, this year's first earnings season kicking off with the big banks. JP Morgan Chase reported this morning a record quarterly profit of $12 billion. Citigroup and Wells Fargo also reporting too. Paul Monica joins us now. Paul, let's start with the JP Morgan. Oh boy, these earnings are impressive. Record profits, record net interest income, record earnings per share. Yeah, it's great news, obviously, Julia, for J.P. Morgan Chase. But Jamie Dimon still sounded a bit cautious on a, a media call uh, earlier this morning after the results came out. And I think you know he correctly noted that J.P. Morgan Chase has been boosting its credit reserves because they're still a little nervous about the health of the U.S. economy, which is you know clearly trying to recover from the depths of the COVID nineteen. Pandemic. So JP Morgan Chase has more than $30 billion in uh, reserves. Obviously, I think that shows the degree of concern and caution that the bank still has about uh, you know, consumer spending and small businesses, even though we might finally get stimulus with that big uh, Biden plan announced last night. Yeah, it's such a great plan. If I look at the earnings for all of these banks, to some degree, they're flattered by the release of some of these provisions, but releasing $3 billion worth of provisions in JP Morgan's case, when you've got $30 billion worth of reserves, I think tells you everything. And it's all about the predictions for 2021. What about from the City and Wells? Yeah, City and Wells both uh, you know uh, beat on earnings, but missed on revenue. They don't have as much 
strength as JP Morgan Chase does on the Wall Street side of the business, if you will, you know, clearly wedded more to their consumer businesses. But all three of them, some of the bright spots, you know, obviously the market surge we saw at the end of last year, that's boosted investment banking. It's boosted trading revenues for all of those companies. And the one consumer part of banking that is still holding up very well is home loans, mortgages, because the housing market is booming. And, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon uh, didn't seem too nervous about housing cooling off in 2021. And I think that's a, a, a sentiment shared by executives at City and Wells also. The housing market probably continues to prop up the consumer aspects of these big banks. Yeah, absolutely. We were just talking to uh, Mohamed Alerian about this and the Federal Reserve going to be really keen to keep rates down and continue to support the economy and uh, consumers too. Paula Monica, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. All right, coming up after the break, his pizza reviews are pretty legendary. And by the way, even though they forgot to put in my order, they're talking straight Italian in there. They got the little cappuccinos. Now he's saving pizzerias and a whole lot more. Dave Portnoy, the Barstool Sports founder. His new mission, helping small business owners survive the pandemic. After the break, we'll see their immediate reactions. Stick around for this. It's amazing. We're back after this. Oh, no way. <laughs> Yeah, I like her eyes got big. <laughs> How are you? Oh, Dave, I'm good. Oh my God, Dave. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, my whole family's heart, and from Michigan. For, for all the small businesses, we thank you very much. You're welcome. We're glad to do it. Everyone's glad to do it. And uh, I'm glad we could do the call. You guys are angels. This is, we've been feeling so abandoned. Thank you so much for, for taking care of the people that have seemed to be forgotten. January 1st, I was planning on closing. I didn't say anything to my staff. This is going to help so much. You don't know. The reactions of some very happy small business owners. They're getting regular payments, which aren't loans. And they're not from the government or a bank, but a fund set up by someone called Dave Portnoy. If you didn't know, he's a sports fanatic and media personality who founded Barstool Sports. It all began with half a million dollars of his own money. And soon celebrities piled in with their own cash, some donating hundreds of thousands of dollars. People like Elon Musk to footballers Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, the chef, the chef Guy Fieri and the singer songwriter Kid Rock right now. The fund has raised over $25 million. It's supporting over 120 small businesses from barbershops to cafes. And Dave Portnoy joins us now. Dave, great to have you with us. I, I watched your launch because you only did this back in December and have watched it grown over the last few weeks. Just talk us through what made you make this decision to step up and directly help people. So uh, I'm in New York City, and in the end of December, they shut down indoor dining. And Barstool, the company I started, is about two decades old, and you know I'm pretty passionate about small business. And I just I went on a rant, which I'm prone to do. I like to talk, and I just didn't understand really how these small businesses, restaurants, bars were going to survive because they're already on their last legs due to the pandemic, which has been going on for so long. And this seemed like a death blow to me. It's so cold in New York. However. 
if you can't serve your customers and they're getting no money from the government, how are they going to survive? It just seemed like there was no way for them to do it. One of the two things had to happen. So I did this rant and then I was challenged. Basically, a, a guy, Marcus Lamonis, tweeted, Instagrammed at me. He's like, hey, big mouth, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? And I sat back and uh, I was like, you know what? He's right. So that is how this thing started. Like you said, I put 500000 of my own money into this account. And then for the fans of Barstool, I challenged them to donate, as well as I've been fortunate through kind of the rise of Barstool to meet some affluent, famous, wealthy people. And I Twitter shamed them. And I said, you know, I started calling them out on Twitter saying, why don't you donate? Why don't you donate? And at the same time, uh, I called, I asked for businesses who needed help, not not overall, just help basically to get to the other side. They needed money to get through COVID till the country opens up. If you needed help, reach out to us and we try to help. So that was the start of it. I mean, you personally call these people and we were just showing a number of these videos. I've watched so many of them now and the emotion, the relief, they're calling you an angel, miracle workers, because these people truly did not know how their businesses were going to survive. To, to your point, how, how does that feel? You know, it, it, it almost, it, it's humbling. I, it, as crazy it sounds like I, when they're thanking me, it, I feel kind of weird taking the thanks. It's really all the people who are donating. But I think what the fund had, has done Truly, for the first time, I mean, it's common sense. I think everybody knows if you ask them, is small business struggling in the United States? Yes. How could it not be? But these videos have actually put a face to it. For the first time, you're seeing these small business owners across the country and how much they're suffering. And when they get the call and when they see my face, you can literally see the stress just wash away. A lot of them break down. And that's what's causing the donations. I think people are actually saying, it's like, oh, my God, what what are we doing here? How are we not helping these people? And it is sad. Um, but I think that's the number one thing this fund has done. It wasn't on purpose. Like the first person I called happened to be a fan of Barstool. So Liz Gonzalez, who goes through a lot of the emails, had been great. She's like, hey, call them and surprise them. And when I did, they just broke down. And I wasn't recording it, but I knew that's the magic. We got to show people what what this means and since then it's kind of been a steamroller and the key here is that for the businesses that you're giving money to they have to have kept on their employees you're you're pretty firm yeah. about that yeah we have two basic rules that we try to stick to one we're looking for successful businesses like whether it be five years ten years some we've had hundred years like generational businesses and the only thing that changed is the pandemic so you assume once the country opens, they'll go back to being successful. And then two, we want them to be paying their uh, employees as best they can. We have owners who have taken mortgages on their houses. You know, they've sold their cars. They're doing whatever they can. So we want to not only help the small business owner, but also the employees try to kill two birds with one stone in that regard. Yeah, and we're showing your website as well where people can uh, contribute to the fund, um, I believe, if they want to as well. Dave, you have called out. We mentioned that um, Tom Brady, of course, very famous yep. footballer here in the United States, has contributed. You did on Twitter call out uh, sports teams in the United States and said, hey, look, the Patriots are the only people that have contributed here. I have to say, you said you went on a rant. You, you often go on a rant. You are a, a pretty controversial figure. Let's yeah. say some people like your humor. Some people don't. Um, 
Do you think that's having a, a negative impact? Do you think people are sort of avoiding or they're just doing their own thing in terms of donations? What can help you raise more money? Because the cause here is clearly a good one. Yeah, you know what? It, it is unfortunate um, because this is something that shouldn't matter. Politics, whether you think I'm funny or not funny or whether you hate me or love me. By the way, the smart people love me. But anyways, that's <laughs> the So you say. It, 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 <laughs> yeah, so I say. But even like CNN, to be totally honest, I appreciate you coming on. I've been reaching out forever because I think this this should have no side. This should be 100 percent. Everybody's on our side. And we're doing this so quickly. Every cent goes right to a business. I don't care what the business. I don't care if they're Republicans, Democrats, black, white, blue, green. We're just trying to help small business the best we can. So, you know. Maybe some people are avoiding it because of that. I hope not. But the more publicity we get is why I'm like, hey, CNN, put me on. The more people who see it, this is the fastest, most effective way right now to help businesses in, in not in two weeks. I'm talking, I talked to a business yesterday. The woman was on her way back from the bank, shutting down her business and broke down. These people need it now. It, it, we can't wait. So um, maybe, maybe that's why some people haven't donated, but I can promise you all the money is going to a good cause, good, worthy businesses. And that's the only agenda. Help small business, help people. You went on a rant as well, a regular rant about the politicians. And at that point as well, when you stepped up here, we'd still not seen Congress agree to provide further support to small businesses, never mind other people in America. Um, that were struggling at this stage. When I was speaking to um, some people last night just to get a sense of, of who you were and why you were doing this, they said, talk to him about political aspirations and, and what he'd be doing if he were president. So, um, Dave, here's your platform. You know, if I was being president, <laughs> I'd probably bang my head against the wall being like, this stinks. Um, you know, politics is broken in this country and it's so self-serving on both sides. I, I, they just, it's like those memes when they're just pointing the finger at each other. Yeah. Uh, it seems like people want to stay in power. People are always looking for the best interest. This is such a clear black and white. They need help now issue. And everybody's just looking after their own. And it stinks and it's broken. And a lot of people are telling me to run. And, and seriously, um, I would rather jump off a bridge than run for politics. It doesn't seem like you can get anything done. We get this done. I came up with an idea. and We're getting people money within 72 hours. Um it's sad what's going on because, you know, this is this is what I think everybody should be able to help with and help instantly. Yeah, I'm with you. It's sad. Thank you for what you're doing. Keep working on it. We'll get you back and talk about progress. And um, I advise people to watch some of these videos because they are, um, yeah, they give me a frog in my throat. Thank you for what you're doing. Dave Paul, I really appreciate founder. that. No, thank you. Founder of Barstool Sports. All right, up next, more on the global efforts to contain the pandemic itself. We head to China, where we get a first-hand look at the vaccination center there as concerns are raised about how effective one of China's vaccines really is. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. Experts from the WHO are quarantining in Wuhan as they prepare to investigate the origins of COVID-19. China, meanwhile, pushing ahead with its vaccination program, even as trials from Brazil show the Sinovac vaccine may only be 50 percent effective, as opposed to an initial claim of 78 percent effective. Stephen Zhang is in Beijing and took a look at one of the new vaccination centres there. 
This is a local museum-turned-vaccination facility in Beijing, one of more than 200 such locations throughout the city. Every day, some 3,000 residents, like the ones behind me, come here to get a shot of a COVID vaccine free of charge made by a state-owned company, Sinopharm, with a reported efficacy of 79%. But the company has not released details from its clinical trials, raising questions about the apparent lack of transparency, not only regarding this vaccine, but also four other Chinese vaccines in the final stages of clinical trials. Now, this sentiment was reinforced earlier this week when the Brazilian partner of another Chinese vaccine maker, Sinovac, revealed the efficacy of that vaccine candidate was just above 50 percent, much lower than previously announced. So such concerns really have global implications as many governments have ordered or been promised access to large quantities of Chinese vaccines. So it's going to affect not just the reputation of this industry, but also the Chinese government's so-called vaccine diplomacy around the world. But for people here on the ground, they seem unfazed with officials saying they are confident in the safety and effectiveness of Chinese vaccines. Health authorities say more than 10 million doses have been given to priority groups with very minimal adverse reactions. And they continue to race to inoculate 50 million people with homegrown vaccines ahead of the country's busiest travel season around the Lunar New Year holiday in mid-February. Stephen Jiang, CNN, Beijing. And finally, high flying in every way. Shares of GM took off after it unveiled plans for a vehicle that could do the same, a flying Cadillac, no less, that could one day carry a single passenger on urban hops. It was unveiled in CGI form at the Consumer Electronics Show, which was held virtually this year. GM shares took a leap of more than 6% to a new record high. Incredible what you can do to your share price with a computer image. Wowzers. All right, that's it for the show. You've been watching First Move. I'm Julia Chasley. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.